But for athletes in general, or really just anyone, we need energy. Mm. And be, this process that I just described, this oxidative stress, free radicals, it disrupts our cells' ability to generate energy. And I think that is the most important and most profound kind of discovery in metabolism uh, in the past hundred years. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Basketball Strong Podcast. I'm Tim DeFrancesco, former LA Lakers strength and conditioning coach and doctor of physical therapy, and I'm here with my co-host, Emmy-nominated writer and author, Phil White. This podcast is not just for basketball junkies. It's for anyone who loves to hear the human stories behind great people while learning the science behind preparing your body for the court and high performance. Today's guest is Dr. Kate Shanahan. Dr. Kate is a board-certified family physician with 20-plus years of clinical experience. She's also a best-selling author of three books, Deep Nutrition, The Fat Burn Fix, and Food Rules. You can follow and learn more from Dr. Kate at www.drkate.com. That's D-R-C-A-T-E.com. And on Twitter at Dr. Kate Shanahan. That's D-R-C-A-T-E.com. S-H-A-N-A-H-A-N. During my time with the Lakers, it was an honor to work with and learn from Dr. Kate as we brought deep nutrition to the likes of Kobe, Steve Nash, Pau Gasol, and many more elite basketball players. In this conversation, we get into the often misunderstood nutrition facts on inflammation, hydration, fuel sources, and so much more on how to eat for better athletic performance and overall health. Let's get into it. Kate, I want you to get nitty gritty with us on the science of why these toxic oils that I've learned so much about from you and that you do such a great job of educating uh, those of us that are are, are paying attention to uh, why why they are so toxic and what they're doing to us. But first, I'm, I'm really interested in understanding where this all came about for you. Where did this dawn on you or where did you come across this information to tell you, wait a minute, there's something we need to stop and look at here? I, it all started when I myself got sick and I had to uh, figure out what was wrong with me. And like, it was really hard to do. There really wasn't a good answer, but one obvious answer was maybe I should eat better. Um, so, because <laughs> I want <laughs> <Right>. to confess, <laughs> confess something here. Um, I, I had this horrible sweet tooth. I, I used to put a quarter cup of sugar in my coffee in the morning. Like, and you obviously you can't do that. Like you might, if you've ever tried, you know, you can't do that under normal circumstances. So I had to make it ahead. I would make a caramel sauce. And um, my husband and Luke said, you know, you know, you probably, you know, it's maybe not like the best thing for you. And my thought process was, well, I'm not super fat. And, um, you know, I went to medical school. So what do you know? So- <laughs> right. Seriously, Luke. <laughs> so not until I actually really like got really seriously ill myself, did I ever kind of decide maybe he knew something about something or maybe I should learn something else. And uh, long story short, I stumbled into this term in a book called Spontaneous Healing by this guru guy from the 90s named Andrew Weil, who's really the father of um <clears throat> Uh, is it called functional medicine now? It's like the father of supplements, basically. Mm. <laughs> I don't know what that's called. 
Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So um, the book Spontaneous Healing just brought my attention to the fact that there's some that not all fats are the same. I, I really thought they were all the same. And, you know, a saturated fat, you know, I, I thought that was especially bad. But I thought in terms of nutrition, really, uh, what we need in our diets, there wasn't any. We didn't need any. And these essential fatty acids, it sounded like you might need those. And those turned out to be um, omega-3 and omega-6. And I had not learned about those in my medical school. Now, mind you, you might be thinking, where did she go to medical school in the in the 19th century? And I would say, yeah, close, because it was 20th century. So at that point in time... <laughs> <laughs> at that point in time, we, you know, we, we didn't talk about essential fatty acids, if you can believe it or not. We didn't talk about fish oil supplementation and all this. So it was a new kind of chemical thing. And having a biochemistry background, I couldn't resist diving into that with much more depth. And while Andrew Weil's book was talking about the importance of getting them, what, you know, because as we know, omega-3 and omega-6, they're essential, we need them. Um I realized that, hey, wait a second, we have been getting a lot of these, more omega-6 than 3, but we're getting a lot. And these are not what people traditionally ate, and they had some chemical properties that were very concerning, and I suppose we're going to get into those. But like that was the first glimmer of like once I understood the actual molecular structure of these things called essential fatty acids and then realized that where I was eating them, which was everywhere, because they're in vegetable oils, which are everywhere, um, I uh, had to kind of understand more about the connection between uh, these things and, and you know, heart attacks, because I had learned that saturated fat caused heart attacks. And if it turns out that these oils, the way their chemistry looked to me was like they could actually be causing heart attacks. Uh, so that led to just like this ridiculous dive down a whole bunch of different rabbit holes that lasted years and years and took me about eight years to get done writing the first book, Deep Nutrition. A couple of things that, uh, I want to sort of uncover a little bit further. Um, you talked about, because I'm, I'm really, uh, fascinated from the angle that is the lens and the hammer that I hold most often, which is what it can do to joint structures and, and, uh, tissue of cranky, sore, stiff, um, sort of orthopedic parts of the body, if you will. Uh, but you're talking about how it leads to heart disease and, and what contributes and actually getting a little bit more nuanced in maybe not what we were taught about saturated fats, but the other oils and the other things that are out there. So can you talk a little bit about just the, um, what is it that is of the makeup that makes these oils, turns them to be the ones that we aren't used to getting in, in human sort of kind. And then what makes that toxic for the different areas of our body and health in general? Absolutely. So the, the chemical makeup of seed oils that makes them so toxic is the fact that they're composed of these types of fatty acids called polyunsaturated fatty acids, and they react with oxygen uh, very easily, too easily. And as a consequence of that chemical property, that causes oxidative stress when we eat too many of them, but it also causes uh, the chemicals to deteriorate into toxins when we cook with them. 
Mm. But the common link there is that polyunsaturated fatty acids react with oxygen too easily. And then therefore they deteriorate and it's never good to eat deteriorated chemicals. Right. (laughs) Got it. Got it. So yeah, keep going. So how does that link to heart disease? Well, oxidative stress is this process that can, it's a chemical process that disrupts homeostasis. It, it disrupts your disrupts your body's ability to keep control in your cells. And when your cells start to lose control of anything that's bad, but they they lose control um, specifically of uh, free radicals. And free radicals are like chemical radiation. They fly apart. They destroy every part of your cell. And they also disrupt. So particularly for athletes, I think, you know, inflammation and joint pain is your bailiwick. But for athletes in general, or really just anyone, we need energy. Mm. And this process that I just described, this oxidative stress, free radicals, it disrupts our cells' ability to generate energy. And I think that is the most important and most profound kind of discovery in metabolism uh, in the past hundred years. And I, I didn't make it. I just ran, you know, I was kind of looking for how these things affected us. And I found an article in this obscure biophysical technical journal published in 2002 and it showed definitively that you can fuel with saturated fat um, you can fuel your mitochondria that's when it, that's where our cells produce energy mm-hmm. when we're talking about getting energy we, we we need to consider our mitochondria they're the things that produce energy for our cells and they're they're fine fueling with saturated fat they're fine fueling with monounsaturated fat, the main type of fatty acid that's in olive oil. And incidentally, it's also the main type of fatty acid in human body fat. Mm. So it makes sense that it would be their best fuel. It's the main fat. Um, but right. the study showed that when you feed uh, the both types of polyunsaturated fatty acids to mitochondria, both types meaning different, you know, omega-3 and omega-6, that within minutes, it started to shut down the mitochondria due to oxidative stress. And the mitochondria were unable to produce energy after about 30 minutes. So this was an experiment, right? And, you know, does it translate to humans? And I would say that it has, it doesn't, it's not a direct translation. It's not like you eat a French fry and your mitochondria are going to start shutting down. It has to do with the concentration. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it does mean that if your mitochondria are ever exposed to too much of these polyunsaturated fatty acids, your cell is going to be in trouble. Mm. And that has profound impacts on your metabolism that I I kind of work this all out and explain all this in my second book, The Fat Burn Fix, because what it means is your, your metabolism starts to not burn your body fat as its primary fuel. And it starts to look into that sugar in your bloodstream instead. So it absolutely changes the fueling strategy that, that mammals, you know, all, all multicellular life that's like animal 
you know, whether even invertebrates, we like anything that stores fat is going to prefer to burn fat for fuel as, as opposed to sugar. It's a, it's just a better, more efficient fuel. Everything's tooled towards that. Mm. We can burn sugar. Sure. And it's better than burning PUFA. But if you're an athlete and your body doesn't want to burn your body fat, you're going to be extremely hungry all the time. You're going to want to have snacks all the time. And this was one of the things that I ran into, you know, when I was working with you, with the Lakers, Tim. Right, Um, right. Because they were told that, you know, sugar is energy for athletes and they were encouraged to eat frequent small meals. And there's all this research in, you know, glycogen and sugar and carbs build up your glycogen. And if athletes deplete their glycogen, that's bad. But all of it is on this background of human beings for the past 30, 40 years now have been forced by the virtue of these vegetable oils in our food supply to burn polyunsaturated fatty acids, which our cells hate burning. And so instead they have to turn to sugar and that basically is what causes diabetes, right? So wow. you, by, by all of this, we're, we're dealing with athletes and, and studies on athletes who are fairly healthy but they're not optimally healthy. Mm. They're not as healthy as they could be because they already have insulin resistance. Just about every 99 point, probably more than not, you know, 9% of the population, when you do a HOMA IR test, which is a test of insulin resistance, it comes out not optimal. It comes out, you know, the optimal is 1.0 and it comes out above that for most people. Okay. So this is eye opening. This is uh, raise your eyebrows kind of stuff. I need you to go back and name some names though, because you, you said a term PUFA, define PUFA for us. And then what are these, you you mentioned seed oils, which where I remember a term that you uh, helped me to kind of use as a, a nice little Envelope, envelope for these these bad guys, the uh, the sinister seven, I think. Well, the hateful Maybe. eight, even now. The hateful, hateful eight, eight now. Okay, great. <laughs> so, name some names. What are we talking about here? Yeah, so the oils that we're talking about that are high in PUFAs, which is a short term of polyunsaturated fatty acids. So it's um, the there's three C's and three S's to start with. So corn, cottonseed, canola. Soy, sunflower, safflower, and then two more are rice bran and grapeseed oil. Mm. So the the first six are going to be on like labels, food labels. And so I always list those first because those are the ones that I tell everybody to memorize and just... You, you, if you want to change your life, you will... Ha- you this There's one habit, very easy thing you can do. Before you buy anything with a label... Start getting the habit of turning it around and reading the ingredients list and looking for the three C's and the three S's. Wow. Uh, and don't buy it <laughs> if you can help it, unless it's in like the 2% or less, you know, scenario there, right? Okay. It's because it is, it's made its way into things like spice mis- mixes now. And so you're going to see it on on the label, but it's going to be in such a small quantity if it's in with the spice mix that it, 
it's not worth worrying right. about. Well, not yeah. only that, though, the, the fact that it's pretty sneaky just out of the gates and the fact of what they are named after vegetables and that we're programmed to assume that that has to be pretty good for us, right? Yeah, it's great marketing on <laughs> behalf of the vegetable oil industry. And then, you know, companies like Mazzola, uh, where they put the picture of like, they've got like an ear of corn next to tomatoes on us over a sunny, beautiful field, as if what you're doing is like, somehow the scientists have distilled down the best from that field and put that like liquid gold into the bottle. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like that's what I thought when I was a kid and I saw the ads for it, you know, but it's not good. The goodness of vegetables at all. There is actually no taste uh, there's no flavor. Right. Flavor is nutrition. That's a basic principle that I like to teach in deep nutrition. Uh, if there's no flavor, there's just no, probably no nutrition. There's also no color. The yellow color is added and it's heavily processed and refined. And so anything that was good, you know, says it's not that corn is bad for you. It's that the corn seeds are only 2% oil. And what they have to do, 5% oil, I'm sorry, 5%, 0.5 or 5, 5% oil, not much. So in order to get that little trace amount of oil out of there, they have to heat it and pressurize it and use solvents like hexane. Yeah. And they're they're removing the fatty acids which uh can't handle the heat so at it during this extraction the fatty acids deteriorate into toxins so you will find toxins in these bottles even in the organic expeller pressed canola oil and you will not find anything that would tell anyone that these came from a vegetable there's like no remnant right if you had some sort of um um, you know, uh, Sherlock Holmes that you'd say, hey, take, you know, you took like a drop of soy oil and said, hey, Sherlock, can you figure out what vegetable this came from? He wouldn't be able to tell because there's no right. trait. <laughs> there's no vitamins, uh, except maybe some distorted vitamin E. And there's certainly no minerals. Those have all been stripped out. Uh, so it's it's not nutritious. There's no nutrition. It's mostly empty calories laced with a little bit of toxicity like trans fat toxins and some other bad stuff wow oh it's incredible to and, start with and we mentioned the companies you know that that are perpetuated or have perpetuated this as a mainstream product in pretty much everyone's pantry but also there's some organizations out there that people look to for health advice and on one hand they're saying coconut oil is bad for you saturated fat is bad for you Eggs are bad for you. Salt's bad for you. And meanwhile, they're promoting these seed oils as healthy. How, how did this come to pass on both ends of that equation? And how is this pulling the wool over everyone's eyes? So thanks to the American Heart Association, back in 1948, they developed a uh, relationship with Procter & Gamble, who sold uh, cottonseed oil and soy oil. They got an infusion of cash uh, worth about $30 million in, in today's dollars. was like $1.74 million at the time uh, as like a donation for like one of their campaigns. And um, it was really a, actually kind of a brilliant move uh, on, on behalf of the person that orchestrated all this because there was a physician that was 
tightly, not a physician, a scientist named Ansel Keys, who was tightly affiliated with the American Heart Association. And it was his kind of little pet project and his uh, really just his made up idea, his theory, we'll put it nicely, that (laughs) saturated fat uh, raised cholesterol and resulted in heart attacks. And he, this, this was his like life's mission to prove that he had solved the mystery of heart when you attacks. say that. So sorry to stop you. When you say saturated fats, you're talking about in our, our daily um, access points, what would that be? So uh, butter, uh, pretty much any kind of animal fat. Back mm-hmm. in uh, that day, that time, McDonald's fries were fried in tallow, which is from beef. Um, also, lard has got a good amount of saturated fat, really any animal fat, but also coconut mm-hmm. um, oil and some of the tropical nuts, nut oils like macadamia nut. Um, so but his theory was that eating more of this stuff because it would raise your cholesterol and because cholesterol was a substance that they found sometimes, I'm going to have to say, in um, the plaque in people who had died of heart attacks. They would uh, do autopsies. It was very common. You know, somebody died. They want to find out why. So they would, like, slice the dead body open and pull out their organs and look at things under a microscope. And they found Mm. that the people who died of heart attacks had this plaque in their arteries and the composition of the plaque included cholesterol. But what... The American Heart Association doesn't tell anybody is that it really wasn't regular cholesterol. It was oxidized cholesterol. And oxidized is probably, I mentioned that word earlier here, right? Because the it's oxidative stress, that is what these uh, oils, ha- it's the mechanism by which they destroy our health. So they these oils also promote oxidation of cholesterol. And that is how they promote heart attacks. But Ansel Keys did not, you know, highlight any of that he just wanted to prove this association between eating more saturated fat and having heart attacks and in fact he downplayed the role of cigarette smoking you know for decades which i think is kind of criminal and the american heart association did too like the american heart association went all along with all of this stuff so he was high up in the american heart association and um he had the ear of a physician at the time named paul dudley white who was the president of the american heart association who was also the personal physician of the president of the United States. So this Ansel Keys was extremely influential. He really had the force of personality to kind of get people to go along with him. Uh, Like Mm. even his friends described him as a bully. And like they said, he's not a guy you can argue with, like just don't even try. So like (laughs) this is, this is why we all think that, you know, butter is unhealthy, that we should eat egg white omelets instead of regular, you know, we need to avoid the yolks. It's because of this man, Ansel Keys, and his ideas, which just so happened to be hugely supportable by the vegetable oil industry, which corrupted the entire field of medicine. So... Here, that's where we are. The so here we are. The medicine is corrupted. Well, uh, 
Right. And that's, yeah, that's what I was going to say is because you you could go to any GP, any, any doc that you're having, look at a, at your, go to your, uh, get your physical done and, and get your blood panel and they will just oftentimes just tell you, well, it's too high. You're, you're eating, cut out the dairy, cut out the, to stop with the butter, cut back on these things and we'll get that number down and then you should be good. Right. And and it's, it's, uh, (laughs) it's a little bit uh, more nuanced than that. Yes. In fact, it's dead wrong because if a doctor tells you (laughs) to get your cholesterol down, he's, he's, um, you know, you're going to actually, increase your risk of dying by doing that the, you know it's like the the science is there there's many studies yeah. that that link lower cholesterol to higher rates of cancer dementia infectious disease and shockingly cardiovascular disease i mean it's like the exact opposite of the so-called science but where does that come from? The so-called science largely comes from the American Heart Association. They have 13 journals and they pump out thousands of articles a year. And they're basically spin doctors, you know, pun intended, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. In the midst of this, you know, they, they've also kind of demonized salt, which in, you know, deep nutrition and your subsequent books, you say, actually, we should be seeking out salt. Can you take us a little bit inside that before I let TD jump right back in with the PUFA conspiracy? <laughs> yeah, so more people are hospitalized every year with low sodium, which is the medical word for the uh, the um the, what is it called? The mineral in salt, sodium chloride is salt. And more people are hospitalized every year with low sodium than with high. And that's largely because we tell all these people who, um, you, you know, we tell people to avoid salt and they do. And then we put them on blood pressure medicines that make you lose even more salt. Um, and th- there's actually very little evidence linking consuming salt in its mineral form to any kind of bad outcome. It was just something that people started saying. Um, It originates in the idea that if you're dehydrated, your sodium is sometimes low. Wow. and And your blood pressure will be low if you're dehydrated. And so correcting that will raise your blood pressure again. But that's not the same thing as salt causing a disease. That's just returning to homeostasis. That's insanity to, <laughs> to you know, go that far. And even my dad, who's also, a, you know, a medical doctor, um, who like doesn't even know anything what I'm talking about ever. He never bought <laughs> the idea, right? Like he's just like, oh yeah, you and your books. I he's he's like it's not like he's not interested. He's he's just like really into reading all as many journals as he can. He's like too busy reading all the other journals. And I'm like, Dad, you're reading like misinformation. He's like, so you say. So <laughs> that's how that goes. <laughs> we'll, we'll work on him. We'll work. We'll get him on. We'll, right? we'll get him. Have him listen to this episode, maybe. <laughs> maybe that'll do it thanks tim 
Um, yeah, but even he never believed, bought into the salt thing because he was like a salt monster his whole life and never had problems. And like, you know, he also was working in emergency rooms and saw people coming in with low sodium levels and it's just like ridiculous. So, so one of the thing I want to say about salt is that from your own personal experience, maybe you can relate to this. You know, if you put too much salt on something, you can't eat it. Exactly. Right. It's just like gross. Um, so that's your body's way of keeping too much salt from coming into your body. Right. right? Now it, it's true. You can eat salt and get like practice it and stuff like that and, and like have a higher tolerance. But on the other end, your kidneys have a higher tolerance. We have these organs called kidneys and that's their job is to keep that sodium level in balance. And so if you eat too much salt, they get rid of it for you. You don't have to count it. You don't have to, you know, the label nutrition, you don't have to have a calculator. Your kidneys do it. Isn't that great? Right. And your kidneys hate seed oils. Yeah. So take TD. I know you had another seed oil question. I've got a couple more before we we move on to the joys and horrors of sugar. But um, yeah, jump jump back in with the uh, seed oil stuff, TD. Well, so, uh, it, you know, as we as we look at that real quick on the, the salt piece, um, it, especially for somebody that is regularly active and they're losing a certain amount of this mineral through their sweat um, to be to be then steered towards staying away from adding it to your food, which, by the way, makes it taste better, makes you when you sprinkle a little salt on your broccoli with a little grass-fed butter and that kind of stuff it tastes so good and you can get everything all in one place and actually have it taste good if you wanted but we're told not to put the butter and put the salt on there and we're told to drink more water and we're just basically sort of doing the opposite of that from a, a person who's who's doing a decent job of staying active and and losing that mineral through their their uh their sweat am i am i on to something there hundred percent, Tim. It's really dangerous to be telling athletes to watch their salt, you know, and they talk right. about electrolytes all the time. And, you know, that, like that is an electrolyte right. and potassium, you know, it's not just potassium. It's not just whatever else they put in Gatorade, uh, which is by the way, mostly sugar, right? Right. <laughs> counts. Um, but yeah, so you, you need that as part of how you stay, keep you know, you, you want to hydrate, you want to keep that water in your body. Well, salt helps it stay in your yes. body. You know how salt draws water to where it is. That's keeps it in your body. So right. it's very important for athletes. Really critical. So, okay. So let me, the, uh, let me sort of uh, round things up here a little bit. It's my, my head spinning, but um, uh, one of the nice things that I love that you pointed out was the idea, not only it's, it's a, Total bummer. It's a total buzzkill that we've been led down this path the wrong way so far, so long, uh, so intentionally. Um, but at the same time, we do hold the information and the insights to simply look at the back of those labels and start to look for these hateful eight. And and because they are in literally almost any product that you'll find on many of the shelves in the interior of a grocery store, um, you can really make a difference is your point is, is you could really make a difference by recognizing where we're taking them in, in things that are actually being um, touted as very healthy uh, items for us, uh, veggie straws or things like that, that are really sneaky and, and, and even stuff that 
looks or on on its outset at its face value if the oil wasn't used to make it in um it is healthy for us but then it sort of gets tarnished by these hateful eight um i love that you talked about how much control we actually do have to 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 start to get a get a handle on this stuff yes and you know on a practical note um just thinking about you know what do you have to cut out of your diet and what's really good for you and all the conflicting information well Vegetable oils put the junk in junk food, right? Nobody think nobody says junk food is healthy. Well, this is why vegetable oils are the reason why junk food is so particularly unhealthy. And now there's also this new term called ultra processed food, and there's more talk and research around the harms of having processed food in your diet. But Vegetable oils, you could say vegetable oils are the defining feature of processed food because there truly is no ingredient that is more processed than vegetable oils, than the hateful eight vegetable oils, also known as seed oils, right? Uh, I think you've used that term a couple of times. So um, they put the junk in junk food and they're the defining feature of processed food. Um, uh, One of the kind of failings, I think, of um, even the people who are trying hard to get at the root of what is making everybody sick is that they don't define processed food in an intelligent mm-hmm. way, right? They're they're like, by how many ingredients it has or by, you know, <clears throat> like how, like, it's illogical. Like, they don't actually have a rubric by which they define it. They just really have lists. Right. So I think they could, they like consider ultra processed food. Um, I think yogurt is an ultra processed food because one of the processing steps is fermentation, which is a good thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like ridiculous. What? That is so backwards. <laughs> well, so there's this, we're getting towards where I'm, I'm really, I think I have this notion anyways, that in general, we think fats, if used incorrectly or however, if we're hopefully, you know, knowledgeable in our choices or not making good choices on that lead to distress or heart disease, uh, sugars, as we're, we'll get into, that is just, we're headed towards this discussion about if used incorrectly or overused, um, and, and not sort of with any awareness whatsoever, we're talking, we're headed towards this discussion of diabetes, but it isn't just those two systems and those structures of our body that are impacted by this. Like you talked about, it is our energy levels. It's our cellular uh, engines, the mitochondria that you talked about that is impacted, but it's also um, the, the joints themselves. Right. And, and we, we, when, when I am face to face with so many people each day with cranky joints, stiff joints, this, that, and, and I use exercise to prescribe, um, ways to address this, but I cannot outdo the, the exercise that I pre- prescribe cannot outdo a, uh, lack of awareness or unknowing sort of dousing of these tissues and these structures with things like the hateful eight or like too much sugar as you'll get into. Um, can you get into that a little bit? Like get, get a little detailed with us in terms of what's happening at tendons, uh, cartilage and joint tissues in, you talked about inflammation, inflammation as well, but what's happening at those tissues, um, outside of the diabetes and the heart disease yeah so as far as your lean tissues so including muscle 
and tendon, which connect muscle to bone and ligaments, which connect your bones and the joint like fluids, even Um, all of those structures will be stressed during exercise. And Mm -hmm. normally in response to stress, you get a little bit of an inflammatory response. Sure. But, but when you've got all these seed oils in your body fat, when you're burning your body fat, the seed oils come out and you're going to be infusing your tissues with these unsaturated fatty acids. That does not sound good. No, it's terrible. Once, (laughs) (laughs) because, because, um, Once inflammation gets started, if you have all these polyunsaturated fatty acids floating around in your bloodstream, it makes it very difficult to turn off the inflammatory process. That's just Mm -hmm. a basic uh, principle of the inflammatory process, the, you know, home, you know, returning to homeostasis, there's enzymes that get turned on and then they these enzymes respond to free radicals they respond to oxidative stress the seed oils promote free radicals and oxidative stress so as long as you still have that going on you're still turning on your inflammation activating enzymes that cause all this pain and they also are enzymes that can chew up some of your collagen so that's part of the inflammatory response. Sometimes when it's really severe, it can chew up your collagen. It can chew up that cartilage, that precious stuff that you only get so much of in your whole lifetime in right. you know, your knee joints and your shoulder joints. It can get chewed up by these enzymes. And the, so the seed oils make the process of inflammation much more destructive and they make it go on longer so that there's a lot more trouble that people have with the recovery process from exercise. And I'm not saying exercise is bad for you. I'm, I'm saying it would be so much better for you. It's not supposed to be painful. It's not supposed to be like this 48 hour muscle swelling, you know, recovery thing after like a normal step up in your regimen, right? Just a small step up. It's not supposed to be super intense swelling and pain and all this kind of thing. You're not supposed to have to do ice baths or take, you know, Motrin um, after a workout. Right, right. That's what I was going to say is, so wait a minute, You're what you're saying is uh, it, all the ice baths and the uh, recovery boots that people can wear and all the gadgets and tools and, and strategies that people can put into their recovery efforts are really going to be still swimming uphill or swimming upstream, I should say, um, if we're not paying attention to dousing our joints with these things that chew up our cartilage right absolutely it's right possible battle yeah i mean chewing up your cartilage what could be worse really for anyone um but that's that's you know the principle of how it all works and so that's the downside so there's one thing stop eating them right away right and then you stop like adding to the problem but the other Mm. thing is that they've been building the polyunsaturated fatty acids from the seed oils have accumulated in your body fat. And that's where the downside is like, okay, it takes a little while before you really start feeling good. But the upside is like, you start feeling good, you know, right away. 
the first week you cut out seed oils, people start feeling amazing. Their digestive mm. system, their joints, most people, you know, depending on where exactly how your body, you know, what you do with, with to your body and, and, and other stuff, like other people have other things that improve like energy, but uh, just about everybody has something major improve in the first week. And then you continue to have various different types of improvement for not months, but years because these oils have been stored in your body fat and it takes years to clear them out and get yourself down where you belong. And so many things change for the better once that happens, but you start feeling much better right away. So it's not like you have to wait years. It's just that you won't be the same person literally (laughs) after you've been avoiding them for several years, your body's going to be so much more functional and you're going to I mean, I get letters all the time, people saying, I feel, you know, I'm 60 and I, I haven't felt this good since I was 20. I mean, Whoa. like, how is that? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like people are walking around in all this pain and they don't realize that it doesn't have to be that way. Oh, that's, that's right. really great. Yeah, that's exactly right. In terms of takeaways, um, okay, so obviously step one, you know, read the labels, as you said, look out for your 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 six and then eventually you're even expanded into your hateful eight. Um, but you know, someone listening might be saying, okay, well, this is all well and good, but what should I be looking for instead? So we talked a little bit about olive oil. We talked a little bit about coconut oil, you know, macadamia, palm, some of these other things, but what are the best alternatives to the the hateful eight oils in different situations um, that people can can go out and, and make that, that third uh, component of, of their strategy here? So what I keep in my house all the time for my taste is butter, olive oil, um, coconut oil and, and peanut oil. Uh, those cover a lot of different flavor profiles that I like. Um, mm. There and um, and those are all mostly going to be monounsaturated and saturated fats. Some people get a little confused about peanut oil, and it's, it's kind of a longer story of why is peanut oil okay? Because there's, if you look at the fatty acid profile of peanut oil, there's a good amount of polyunsaturated fatty acids in there, but it has to do with the, you know, the way it's processed. It doesn't have to be processed, and the fact that there's still flavor. So flavor mm. is nutrition, and if an oil has no taste, I, you really should avoid it um, if you can. So that's like for cooking at home. Um, and, and, then, and also real quick on the, sorry, uh, just to quickly kind of get the detail on this part is, um, the cooking with the oils, uh, matters too, because they, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, those oils tend to be, those fats tend to be stronger, uh, in, in terms of being able to resist the heat or, right. um, or stand up to the heat, uh, a little bit more so than some of these hateful eight that are very, very weak oils. If I, if I have that right. hundred percent correct. So yes, actually saturated fat is almost impervious, impervious to oxidation. It's, it's almost like an wow. antioxidant. Um, and, wow. and then, so the, yeah, so the monounsaturated fats in, uh, in olive oil, those are a little bit susceptible, uh, but they're, they're, it's nothing like the seed oil. So like in the frying pan situation, um, if an olive oil is like a, a, a one on the scale of damage, then, um, the polyunsaturated fatty acids with two double bonds, like without being omega six is a 10 and the polyunsaturated fatty acids with three double bonds, that would be like in your canola oil, they've got the omega-3 in canola oil. Um, that would be, I believe, a 40. 
So it's it's like not twice as breakable. It's significantly more breakable. And in wow, the, yeah. And but of course, also it's like not really a hard and fast rule. It depends on what it's surrounded by. The more saturated fat that it's surrounded by, the uh, the better it's protected, basically. So, mm-hmm. um, so one of the things that I discovered recently for myself after hearing about it years and years ago is that if you cook a steak in butter and olive oil, what does it taste good? But chefs, I heard about this years ago from a chef and um, this chef, uh, Rupert, who's like French. And uh, so anyway, <clears throat> he's a tall glass of water or something like that. But so he, he um, he's also really smart about cooking and he's as he should be. Um, but so he said that if you put butter a little pat of butter in your olive oil, it protects the olive oil. And it's actually chemically true because the saturated fat, the butter is like mostly a stick of different types of saturated fat that are very oxidation resistant and will not deteriorate with the heating. Uh, will will surround the monounsaturated fats in the olive oil and protect them from damage. And so you retain this amazing flavor when you combine the two. So you got to try cooking a steak in that combination. It's wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Um, what's your take on avocado oil, Kate? Uh, so avocado oil is not a traditional fat, uh, uh, you know, oil wise, but it is certainly a traditionally cultivated, um, you know, fruit and it has a, gr- a good fatty acid profile. It's, it's very monounsaturated and saturated, very low in the bad stuff, the polyunsaturated. So I recommend that it's, it's just kind of like the new kid on the block. And, um, I just don't happen to use it because I don't. I don't like the flavor of the unrefined version of it myself personally. That's mm. why I didn't mention it as what I keep in my house, but it's also, it's, it's very good um, for, you know, health purposes. <laughs> it's got a lot of vitamin yeah. E too. Yeah. yeah. That's good to know. Okay. And I think you mentioned um, a couple of answers ago, not just butter, but grass fed butter. So before we get, uh, you know, a couple more questions, maybe on the seed oils and transition to sugar, could you talk to us a little bit about, why grass-fed dairy products, grass-fed meat, um, this kind of thing possibly even has a different nutritional profile than the alternative factory farms, um, cheaper. And, you know, even now that certain parts of the country have got an egg shortage, people might be tempted to save a buck. Now the price of all kinds of eggs has gone up and just say, well, I know the cages are probably not as good for the animals and probably not as good for me, but Gosh darn it, cage-free eggs are expensive these days. So talk to us a little bit about grass-fed, free-range, and why for for our healthier fats all the way across the board, that might be a a better option, even if slightly more costly one. Yeah, so grass-fed animals that are like normally on grass, like cows, uh, they're eating a species-appropriate diet, and they are themselves healthier. Their tissues are healthier. And um, when we're talking about a cow, their fatty acid profile is going to be a lot better for us, too, which is why we had the birth of grass-fed Tim <laughs> with the Lakers. <laughs> that, absolutely. Grass-fed TD, so but nobody's, meta- nobody's putting him into a stake, thankfully, yet. But yes, I get it. Meta World Peace. Yeah, that's right. Meta World Peace gave me that name. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. So, so grass fed, like butter from grass fed cows has much more omega three fatty acids in it 
than butter from conventionally fed cows. Uh, and uh, it actually has quite a bit more even than fish oil. Um, wow. And I actually recommend it as opposed to taking fish oil because of fish oils are polyunsaturates too, and they deteriorate very quickly. And very few companies go through the trouble of preventing oxidation during the There's that process. word again, oxidation. Oxidation, yeah, that's the key word. Yeah, that's the word of the day. <laughs> um, so, So keep going with that because I think so many people are – sort of been programmed on the sort of supplement chain of fish oils. And that's a, at least I'm, I'm getting these in my diet and that's good for me. Yeah. You know, grass fed butter and any uh, kind of grass fed uh, rumen animal fat, like basically it's just cows and sheep um, will be a a great source of omega-3 fatty acids. Mm. And when I say great, I, I mean, not only is it, in concentrations comparable to supplements, it's actually more stabilized. So it's actually what you want. Wow. When we're looking at when, you know, the researchers who understand oxidation, toxicologists are the people that understand oxidation, toxicologists, like they've studied toxins. Um, oxidation causes a lot of toxicity. So a lot of uh, people who study the downside of seed oils are, are are toxicologists, and they use special equipment to test how much oxidation has occurred. So they've done this on on your average fish oil supplement, and your average fish oil supplement after about thirty days has so much oxidation that's damaged it that there are levels of toxins in there some toxins that exceed like thresholds recommended for daily consumption yeah, sir. by the world health organization. Yeah. So it's, um, it's not like supplements are the answer and right. You know um, it, it's, it's, and it's also uh, now that more people are talking about seed oils, if, if you uh, Tim, if your listeners uh, and Phil, if your listeners go out there and uh, like start Googling seed oils, you're going to come across this idea that uh, like one subset of the seed oils is worse than the other. One subset of these two polyunsaturated fatty acids, and you go down this rabbit hole of omega six and inflammation. It doesn't make any sense, and um, it's not true. It's not part of the oxidation issue, but it leads people to rely more on the omega three supplements, and that's why I'm getting at. That's why that's oh. kind of relevant. Um, and, and so really omega-3 actually deteriorates into toxins much more quickly than omega-6. So canola oil is actually potentially far more toxic than soy oil. And the dietitians love canola oil because it has more omega-3 in it. Hmm. So, yeah, so it's all topsy-turvy upside down, but that's why I had to write such long books and <laughs> 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 Thank goodness you did. Um, yeah. I want to I want to shift into the sugar conversation, and um, I'll never forget as you explained to me the piece again. I'm going to go back to the the joints, and and we can talk about the diabetes and the heart disease aspect too, and that's very important general health of of all all of us. And I'm I'm not downplaying that, but I'm I'm fascinated by what this is doing to the joints because. 
I just don't think we're paying attention to it. And and we're we're all sort of at least in the back of our mind aware, yeah, I know I shouldn't be eating this much sugar. It's not good for my, you know, my my blood sugar and my heart and and the diabetes stuff. But we're not saying that from the joint side. So I want to get into that. But um start with the fuel aspect because you you opened that canister earlier. The this idea, especially in athletics and sports, it's sort of programmed early on that this is fast fuel, uh, the goos and the things that runners are given and all the stuff. And it's like this has to be the number one thing for our athletes because they need it fast. Yeah, so it's faster than fat, say. Like the fat um it doesn't get into cells quite as quickly, but it's inferior in terms of its ability to support mitochondrial energy generation and inferior compared to these special things, your cell's favorite fuel called ketones, mm. which is what a healthy body will produce during exercise. If you haven't just eaten, you don't have to follow a keto diet. Your liver makes ketones when your metabolism is healthy and when you are not insulin resistant. And your and ketones get into your cells even faster than sugar. So mm. nature isn't stupid. But, <laughs> right? like, There's a t-shirt. <laughs> let's just start with that. Nature would have to have been pretty stupid to have filled us our bodies up with 100,000 calories of fat and maybe 800 of sugar, if sugar were a better fuel than fat. So that, the, the yeah. story is partly true that the dietitians have in their heads, which is that, yes, fat doesn't quite get into the mitochondria as quickly as sugar, but nature has thought all this through and (laughs) nature has the answer and the answer in terms of exercise is ketones and in terms of the speed and the fast fastness of it is is ketones and then you know that's part of fat adaptation and the whole fat adapted athlete i don't know if you've ever talked about that before with other people on your show you probably have um but yes your metabolism is is going to respond to what you do to it. Just like, you know, you build, you know, muscles and there's infrastructure in your cells that's actually being changed by exercise. Well, the same with what you fuel on. And if you're training your body to rely on sugar for fuel, then you're training your body to not get ketones ever. And that's Mm. really their preferred fuel. And one of the sexy quotes I like to make about ketones is that there was a a scientist who studied how strong the heart could pump on ketones uh, versus not not having ketones versus just sugar for fuel. And it was 30% harder with each beat. So even if you're each beat, if you get 30% more blood pumped for the same effort of the muscle, the same strain on your heart, the same amount of you know calories burned. Um, and uh, so this is why it applies to even athletes that are not considered aerobic athletes, right? You, you know, mm. oh, I don't do cardio. I do team sports or whatever. Well, explosive athlete, sports or power sports, things like that. Yes, you need your heart. You need your, you need oxygen. <laughs> Turns out. What kind of athlete you are, right? So if you're, if you get for free, your heart to be 30% stronger, 
um, that's a good thing. And you're depriving yourself of that if you're always fueling on sugar and always loading up with sugar. Well, I, I saw there a, you have that. Yeah, there's that. I saw a pretty um, stunning stat that was in one of the, the articles on your website, Kate, where I think you said in one study of female endurance athletes that the average sugar consumption was 275 grams or something like that a day. And, and some are being told, well, it's still not enough. You've still got to go in and every 15 to 30 minutes, you know, got to take in more. And so maybe that's even higher among male athletes. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, obviously we can, the body, as you said, you know, that, that system we can train is able to to produce energy through a lot of different pathways. But if you're getting up to this, you know, 275, 300, 400 grams a day sugar, and you're not cycling at 60 to 80% uh, <laughs> power up mountains, say in the Tour de France or something like that, or maybe even if you are, what are some of the things that that's, um, that's doing to the body? So one of the things that happens that we don't talk about very often is when you're getting that much carbohydrate and sugar is that you're eating very frequently. Um, so the frequency of eating is something that's very important to consider when you're talking to athletes or just anyone, um, especially if you're trying to lose weight, uh, because the more often you eat, the more you're getting an insulin spike and the more you're just going to turn those calories that you just ate into body fat and the mm -hmm. less access you have to burning your body fat for fuel, meaning you also have less access to ketones, your body's favorite fuel. So the more frequently that you eat, right? So the, it's kind of part and parcel. And I know it seems maybe like a change of subject, but when you think about how, much, how you're going to possibly get that much carbohydrate in, it's very often through repeatedly snacking or repeatedly, you know, drinking, right? And this, they actually tell athletes, you want to have carry stuff on you. You need to have this sugar in, on a break and stuff like that. You're repeatedly fueling. That is an absolutely abnormal thing to do during exercise. Like, um, you know, imagine... Nature, okay, back to nature. Nature knows what it's doing. Right. If you had to hunt, so one of the original uh, hunting strategies is called persistence hunting, where you had like a club or a small little arrow or something really basic, a spear, say. Uh, the San people of Africa do this. They they track a deer for for two, four, six, eight, twenty four hours. So they've gone a long way. They're basically doing a marathon trying to track this deer. That's persistence hunting. They're in the bush of Africa. Where are they going to get Gatorade or a sports <laughs> car or any kind of sugar? And this is one of the key strategies that humans used until, you know, much farther down in our evolutionary journey. So yeah. we're designed to not eat during exercise and to fuel with our body fat. We even use water more efficiently. There's evidence to suggest that wow. we use water more efficiently when we're fueling with our, our body fat. And um, because we have fewer fluid shifts, basically sugar causing, causes fluid shifts to happen in the body. And so um, that's very important, you know, when you're going on a, a long sort of exercise bout, you know, one of those tough mutters or an, if you do marathons right? As an athlete. So, um, so yeah, so there's just like nothing right about sports nutrition 
advice. It, it is actually the worst of the worst. And part, partly because sports nutritionists are influenced not only by the American Heart Association, they have to abide by that, right? It's not the dietitian's fault or the sports nutritionist's fault. It's what they learn as if it's gospel sure. truth. Um, so, but they're influenced by the American Heart Association. And then that's giving them the wrong information about fat. And then on the other side, there's all these interweaving relationships between sports nutrition and the sugar industry, right? You know, Gatorade mm. Sports Institute. Gee, I wonder why they recommend Gatorade and hydration. <laughs> right. Um, right. And and Pepsi, um, you know, influencing dietitians and, you know, sports diet, sports nutrition, sports dietitians are a subset of dietitians, right? So they're like doubly influenced with industry sponsored science which shouldn't be called science it's truly just marketing right they're they're turning the dietitians yeah. into a salesperson for their product definitely until definitely. they deprogram themselves you know they have to deprogram themselves and that's not easy <laughs> right well thanks luckily we have you to help deprogram some of us and and um Okay, get get to the good stuff. Get to the sticky joints. This is the part that I, I'll never forget you saying. Imagine the the your fingers when they get all sticky with sugar as you're eating gummy bears or something like that. And 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 tell us what's happening at our joints. Exactly. The reason sugar in high concentrations is unhealthy is that when it's literally bonds to some of the amino acids in your joints and in your skin when you have like a, that tacky feeling uh, after you've gotten like, you know, jelly on your fingers or, or anything sugary on your fingers and you feel it pulling apart, that sticky tackiness, that is literally a chemical bond between sugar that formed between sugar and the amino acids in your skin. And that is kind of a corrosive uh, chemical. It's basically forming a corrosive chemical if it's in your joints right is the last thing you want in your joints is stickiness your joints are all about yeah. flexibility and lubrication and freedom of motion but uh, a sugar a blood sugar spike will ha will push enough sugar into your joints that you can start to get some glycation happening there and i've had so many people tell me that they they feel their it in their joints after they go off the rails like around Halloween or holidays or something and have a whole bunch of sugar. And that's why is because those big spikes that you have when you have a lot of sweet candy and stuff, we're not talking about like just a little bit like what you would get in milk or you know something that's naturally right. present. Uh, we're talking about like a big huge spike. That's gonna push it into your joint and then it, it's gonna start causing these chemical changes to occur, which is essentially like rust forming. And you can kind of think of it as like rust in a um, series of gears, you know, in, a, in, a, in an engine or something that has to be moving. Um, it's going to just freeze up and stick and catch and you get more kind of tearing and shearing and just damage happening when you exercise after a big sugar binge like that. Wow. So glycation, that's called glycation? It is called, the chemical term is called glycation. And um, chefs know this. You've actually seen it if you've ever toasted any, a piece of bread in the oven. That The the chefs call it the Maillard reaction, but it's like a browning reaction. So mm -hmm. um, 
you're seeing reactions um, between sugar molecules and amino acids. And they turn brown just because they they have they resonate differently with light, and you can actually see them, see the color. And well, actually, you can see this happening in joints as we age. So you know, um, they've done. I saw this one table that was kind of bizarre, because what it was was the actual sternal cartilage of humans at different that taken from humans of different ages that I guess had died. And so sternal cartilage, cartilage is supposed to be white, like that mm-hmm. nice shiny stuff at the ends of the bones. Um, when, as we age, it, it changes color. And the process that's happening there is glycation and oxidation, and it gets darker. But both of those processes, glycation from sugar and oxidation mostly from the seed oils, uh, feed on each other and they age your collagen faster. And so, you know, in, a, in an infant, the color was pure white and mm. by the time the person was like maybe you know 20 or something it starts to get a little bit yellow sort of darker and darker and it was this like gross color of like almost brown by the time they took it out of an 80 year old and that's wow. just that is actual connective tissue becoming changed because of sugar changing its chemical construction in oxidative stress also doing the same thing and making it look different and it doesn't have that same resilience anymore. Ah, so, right. Yeah. I, w- I was waiting for you to get to that part because the durability aspect of this tissue is immense when it is healthy, when it's, it, it's, it's young and taken care of or both. And when we expedite this process of glycation alongside these oils and everything that creates that oxidation and those two things together, the durability of this tissue is significantly impacted, right? Absolutely. It's like, you know, bathroom and tile caulk, you know, like once it's hardened and dried, you can pound that thing with a hammer and it just looks the same. Right. But right. Then, right. But then take like a piece of like, um, you know, peanut brittle or something like that with wow. lots of sugar in it and you smash that and it's going to crumble. It's not quite that extreme, I'm sure, sure. but it's, it's similar. It just doesn't have that ability to withstand the concussive forces that it's supposed to with that when you walk on it, when you run on it, when you lift, you know, whether it's your shoulders or your knees or whatever. Um, and so it will form little cracks and concentric tears um, in the, uh, you know, if we're talking about a knee joint, the one of the most common reasons that people have to stop running is they get a degenerative meniscus tear mm-hmm. in their joint. Mm-hmm. That's just that the cartilage has broken down um and, and it's become more rigid and it's broken across its fracture points which are concentric mm-hmm. so you know it's like well sometimes it can heal something actually can heal if people really correct their diet um yes but yeah it actually i've seen that um but um you know that's what sugar does is it just makes things more brittle in your joints and the seed oils accelerate the process yeah. Well, and this one is great. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and, and this is great because this is I, I love sort of being at this point in the conversation now because, um, you know, as as sort of grave and, and depressing as some of this information can be to take on and say, oh, my gosh, this is everywhere. How am I going to control this or how am I going to get some control over this? Um, you know, one of the things that you talked about there was really the combination of 
what I do and, and prescribe exercise and remind people that, Hey, bloating. And you talked about it earlier, stress from exercise at a, a, there is a positive amount of natural amount of inflammation in response to exercise. And then the body has a way of sort of getting better after that or adapting and, and, and getting stronger. Um, it gets really hard to do that when we cut its legs out from under it itself by adding these things on. But if we were to be aware of these chemicals, these compounds and these things that, um, we, we can control. Uh, and then alongside that, n- not only, well, first of all, I guess this is the first part that's, that's actually, I'd never thought of it this way is it's quite reasonable actually, as I hear you talk to expect that reducing the amount of the excessive intake of, of sugar, of just, um, processed sugars in a person's diet could, totally impact in a positive way how your stick how your kind of cranky stiff sore joints are feeling so just that alone fair to say absolutely especially if you were one of these people that would kind of go on binges right because yeah. it's yeah. it it's it really gets accelerated by that blood sugar spike right yeah. like if you just have a little bit of sugar like with dinner or with a meal or something it's, it's not as bad as it doesn't have any nutrition sure. in it but it's not going to get that spike. And it's really the concentration in there that makes it so really bad for people. So you mean, so you mean like the NBA, right, right. So you mean like the NBA players that uh, I've, I've witnessed reach up in the overhead compartment on every uh, flight we ever took and be able to grab king size bags of uh, Skittles, uh, gummy bears of anything that you wanted. And then uh, I've seen cross country flights where players ordered up to eight to 12 uh, Coca-Cola's or grape sodas. You mean, you mean like that type of spike? Yes. I mean, that's an extreme example. <laughs> they're bigger. They're, they're bigger people. So like they can actually get away probably with like twice as much as someone okay. size. But, but uh, I mean, but it's not, they're good. You don't want to be getting away with that. You don't want to like <laughs> the, 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 the uh, even like a ice cream, right? Like, so somebody my size who's only five, five, um, even a bowl of ice cream is going to spike my blood sugar quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I don't do this, but people my size who have done this, they say, oh, yeah, I had like dessert. I had like a big, you know, piece of chocolate cake or a big cheesecake or something like that. And I felt it the next day. You mm-hmm. you do feel it the next day. Yep. Um, and, and so, you know, people who are attuned to listening to their body, they can notice the difference. They they really do. And and that's a really good tool for you, uh, for your listeners, I mean, you know, for people to pay attention to is like, do I feel worse? Do my joints feel a little bit stiff? For me, the place I notice it always is in my fingers. Mm. I notice it in my shoulders, but other people notice different things in different joints. Um, but pay attention to that because it's kind of like one, once you make an association, like, oh, this is going to hurt me. <laughs> You're not so keen on having it. Again, it's, yeah. the temptation is a little bit easier to resist. Um, so that's an important association. That's a great point. And, and, the, and the piece that I want to just tie off that thought uh, a, a little bit uh, before we go to the next topic is um, the, the aspect of combining what I do in exercise prescription and reminding people like, hey, these you're not doomed you you, so you've been diagnosed with arthritis so your joints are not like they were when you drove the car off the lot okay 
we can do something about that. We can load these tissues. We can strengthen things. We can uh, not only the muscles, but we can strengthen the actual joint surface tissues and they can respond. But in the other 23 hours of the day that you're not with me, with us, there is there are these two things that really, really are impacting what happens to the loading response that we give to it. So um, I, I just think it's really, really powerful and, and so fascinating that we do have these things that are actually really low hanging fruit. Like if you were just to read the back of that label and understand these hateful eight oils, understand the, um, the, the king size snicker bar at halftime of the game. That's actually something that I witnessed an NBA player doing. Um, and if you were to load these tissues uh, the right way, we, we can really create this incredibly durable um, joint functioning joint of, of whatever joint we're talking about of the body. And, and um, we, it is in our control. Yes, absolutely. And you want to support that. You want to, you know, you want to support your biology with your diet, not right. your diet. <laughs> every chance that you get it, it, you know, and the the other great thing is that getting these two things out of your diet, um, it's the gift that keeps on giving because sugar deadens your sense of taste and enjoyment for flavors mm. that aren't sweet. Right. So um, I went through this process myself because I had that terrible sweet tooth with my quarter cup of sugar in my coffee every day. And, um, you know, at that point in my life, I was like, ah, carrots are good for you, but, you know, they don't taste like anything. People say that they're sweet. I don't know what they're talking about. And um, I thought they were annoying, you know, say, oh, carrots <laughs> are um, And uh, once I got the sugar out of my diet, I could not believe how good other foods tasted. Yeah. So, it, you know, it really is a gift that keeps on giving. But I think a key thing is taking baby steps. And that's one of the things actually um, I learned the phrase from Gary Vitti. I learned to use the phrase an awful lot from Gary Vitti um, because that was like his kind of big thing was don't make big changes. And it's true when it comes to getting off yeah. sugar, that's the way to do it. I talk about how to do that in the fat burn fix. And in fact, the most important part of the fat burn fix book is the, the plan that the part of the plan that I call the baby steps plan because it takes somebody down from like, say you're eating like a typical American where you have a good amount of sugar and a good amount of processed food and, a, you know, a couple snacks at least a couple times a week. It takes you from that without any abrupt changes so that you feel deprived, right? I, I don't want mm. people to feel deprived because that feeling of deprivation almost is like an open wound that doesn't heal. Even if you get sugar out of your diet, you always want it. And so if you cut things down gradually and carefully enough, the way that I try to help people um, understand how to do that, um, then you don't, you aren't left with that open wound and you're not like always on the edge of um, losing your willpower and your self-control around yeah. your tempting foods. Uh, Kate, this has been 
incredible. I cannot wait to get you back on. There's some other things that I haven't touched on here. And, and I know Phil's got a stack of questions he didn't get to over there, but um, I do want to respect your time. Uh, we have one famous final question. Uh, and, and so we'll end with that. This is the basketball strong podcast. So the question is, and you can answer this from a more technical side of things an emotional, more spiritual side of things. Um, and, and what all of these topics you've brought into today's conversation could could play into the answer. But what does it mean to you to be basketball strong? I guess I would see that it means to be like, uh, you know, in alignment with the way nature wants things to be. Mm. Right. To be in alignment with the kind of food we're supposed to be uh, fueling with and building our bodies out of and on the output side, having great capacity to do whatever it is that you want to do, right? Just your body will be right there with you. The mind is willing and the spirit is also there. Or wait, I'm not so that good ma- with saying that makes, <laughs> that makes sense to me. <laughs> I think it, the spirit is willing, but the body is not, is, is not, I can't remember how that's a famous thing. I can't remember how it goes. <laughs> well, that that sounds basketball strong to me. If the if the mind, the spirit, and the body are all willing and able, yes. right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Phil, get it in the vault, baby. Locked. <laughs> Kate, uh, before you go, tell us about the books, um, and and tell us about where we can follow along and and gain insights as along the lines of what you've just opened up for us here today. So please come to my website, drkate.com. It's D-R-C-A-T-E.com and subscribe. You get a bunch of goodies when you do. And um, I've got a lot of great resources on my website there. You can just like search for bone broth or, you know, dairy or protein or cholesterol or any questions you have. The search is really helpful. Um, And you can also look up my books there. and see if, which one you want to buy or, or why not just buy all of them. That's right. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's actually three. Uh, so deep nutrition is, uh, is probably the most famous because yeah. um, it's, it's kind of like a sort of like mind blowing. And, um, but the fat burn fix is also uh, pretty mind blowing. I think for anybody struggling with metabolic health um, and then food rules is kind of the, um, the uh, shorthand shortcut version, I guess, of, of all of that. But I'm also on Twitter. I'm especially on Twitter. And because uh, Twitter, I like understand much more than Facebook and TikTok. But I'm also on Facebook. Twitter doesn't have anything except you just type in text, right? These other ones, they've got like reels and other things. And I don't know. What <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> and so what are you on Twitter? Oh, yeah. Um, it's at dr. Dr. Kate Shanahan, D-R-C-A-T-E Shanahan. But also that information is on my website. Perfect. Kate. Oh my gosh. So good. I mean, power packed and, and just so many things that we can all take away in, uh, in under 90 minutes. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, it was a great conversation. Thanks. uh, Thanks Tim and Phil. It was nice to, nice to meet you and nice to catch up. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, and we hope you did, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. 
And so you never miss a weekly episode, be sure to subscribe and follow. You can find previous episodes on our show website. That's www.basketballstrongpodcast.com. For more basketball performance resources and nagging injury solutions, follow me on Instagram at TD Athletes Edge and follow Phil at Phil White Books. Until next week's episode, stay basketball strong.